to a new episode of the Weathercock Podcast. I'm so grateful that you are here right now, checking us out, having a listen. And this might be your first time. Uh, this might be your 27th time because we're at episode number 27, whatever the case. So thankful. And it comes all the way from Montreal to wherever you are in the world. I have a very, very interesting guest here today. His name is Daniel Duval. I've been wanting to have him on this podcast since the beginning of the podcast, which started back in September. And we were finally able to coordinate our schedule so that we were that we were able to have a conversation this week together and that I can present to you. Daniel is a fascinating, super interesting person. Um, he he's a late, he's a life coach, but a parenting coach, but he's done many things before that. He was a volleyball coach, a banker, a teacher, um, and everything led up to him committing his life to his family as a stay-at-home dad, but also coaching other parents in raising their children, creating relationships with them, and all around create a, 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 a space of understanding and we had um, a really great conversation and almost went down a few rabbit holes on some subjects because, you know, as fathers and parents, uh, you can go far into stories and relate to certain situations and, you know, experiences that we've had. But what I find awesome about Daniel is how he is so authentic, honest, and vulnerable in what he does. And this is all encapsulated on his social media, where he shares stories. He shares the daily challenges of being a parent, the struggles, but the good things also that we do as parents to celebrate, you know, uh, us as works in progress that are trying to do the best parenting. And he, he, he puts this in a way that when you watch his, his content, you can relate and you can sort of just like resonate with all that he's doing. I mean, I know I did. And, you know, I'll put all the, the links in the show notes so you can go check out what he does on his platforms. But he is a multi-dimensional person. So there's a lot of stuff in this in this podcast that we talked about that was just absolutely inspiring. And this is what the whole podcast is about, right? Having conversations with people that are just doing their best every day to become a better version of themselves and try their best at whatever they're doing or pursuing to become a little bit better. And this is the whole essence and the heart of the podcast is having these conversations with people and learning so much from them. And this one is one for the books again. Hey, Daniel, I am so excited to have you on this podcast. I've been wanting to connect with you for a while now and it's happening today. So just thank you for taking the time out. It's really exciting for me to uh, be able to have a conversation with you. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. I am looking forward to kind of where it takes us. <laughs> I, that's for sure. We, we will go places probably that you weren't expecting because that's just what where curiosity usually leads us to, right? Mm -hmm. But the first thing that uh, while reading your bio, the first thing that popped up to me was that you've done a, quite a few things in your life. I mean, teacher, yeah. banker, volleyball coach, um, I mean, that's a lot of stuff. And the thing that, you know, struck me, of course, is, oh, you've always been in service, mm -hmm. always serving others and all that. Tell me a bit about your journey. I'm curious to know, like, 
from everything that you've done up to today where you're a parenting coach, like how does this, how did all of these experiences lead up to what you're doing today? Take us through that. Wow. That's a big question. Um, <laughs> um, I think a lot of it starts from, actually I should prerequisite this. So I've been in weekly therapy now for a while and really digging into my childhood and my past and I think when I entered college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, So I just went with what I was good at, which was numbers. So I did accounting and finance. And so when I graduated, I was looking for jobs. It was right when the recession was hitting in 2008. Um, And so I ended up moving home and living with my parents. And my mom worked at a school and she was like, hey, there's a long-term sub job. Are you interested? And so I was like, sure, why not? Um... So I literally fell into teaching by accident um, and I taught at a private school. So I didn't need a certification. I didn't need any degree. Um, so started teaching and I loved it like almost immediately. Was it elementary school or was it uh, high school? Middle school. Um, oh, okay. so like set sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Okay. Um, and so I did, I just, I connected with it almost immediately. I've always loved kids. Um, I love learning. Like I'm definitely a lifelong learner. So I feel like it combined two of my passions. Um, and then towards the end of that school year, my uncle started his own bank and reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to work for him. And I basically was like, okay, I majored in this. I should give it a shot. Um, I was there for two years and I hated like every minute of it. Um, it was just not my thing. It was very like rote routine, same thing every day. Um, And so I've- This is interesting though. This is interesting. I just want to ask you before you go, I'm sorry to cut you off, but this is, I want to get you this on this. Going from a school teacher where you're, you're passionate about kids, passionate about teaching and going to work for your uncle who started a bank. What was the, like, what decision did you make there for yourself that made you go there? Was it, you know, a family decision or was it a money decision? Like- Take me through that. Um, I think it was more, I felt like I owed it to myself to explore the field that I went to school for that I thought I wanted to do. What was um, the field? Um, like finance. Okay, um, finance. Okay. Yeah. So I um I triple majored in accounting, finance, and economics. Um, and so I was like, okay. I majored in this. I spent all this time. I need to at least see if this is something that I'm interested in. Um, and so I did, I, I tried it and I did a variety of different things. I was thinking about quitting and then I got promoted. And so then I like waited a little bit and I'm so fortunate that my boss at the time literally sat me down at a meeting and was like, Hey, I'm giving you the heads up. I'm going to fire you in a month. Um, I can tell that this is not for you you you're not passionate about this. I wish somebody had done this for me because I'm now in my fifties. I hate what I do, but I can't switch now. Oh Um, boy. And so I feel like he did me such a service and did a thing for me that I don't think I would have been able to do myself. Um, And so he kind of initiated this new path. So when I was like, okay, I'm leaving, what am I going to do? My first thought was teaching. And I was like, how am I going to get back into this? And so my principal that I had started with was good friends with this other principal. And so I ended up getting a job at his school. Um, And so I taught in Catholic school for another, my God, how another four years. 
Um, and then segued from the Catholic school, private school system to public schools, because I felt like I could effectively change more kids' lives in a public school setting where there was more diversity um, racially, economically. Um, So I ended up teaching in low-income school districts for the next five years. And then my second son was born. I took a month off of school. And during that month, I had a lot of time to sit with myself. And I actually had coincidentally started listening to Jay Shetty's podcast that summer before, which I think started a lot of this thought process in my mind. And during that month, I had this realization that I really didn't like myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the direction that I was going. I just didn't, I just didn't really like who I was becoming. And so had some conversations with myself, with my wife, and then first day back from school, told my principal that I was leaving education. Um, It was a tough choice, but I was like, I'm going to stick through the rest of the school year, but I'm done. And then March COVID hit. And it was almost to me like a sign that I made the right choice um, to leave. And so finished the school year virtually, which was really difficult. Um, And then when I finished, I was like, cool, now what? I want to do something that involves education and helping people. Like, what is it? And so I had seen Jay's certification school and I was like, oh, like, that's interesting. But I didn't pull the trigger and I kind of sat on it for a while got some random part-time jobs. Um, and then finally was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, like I need to commit to it. So enrolled in his school and then started my own business. Um, life coaching originally started with coaching men, um, about being vulnerable and open. And then it kind of just naturally shifted into parenting. Um, and so now I coach parents on building stronger relationships with themselves and their partners and their kids. So that's the the long and the short of it. <laughs> that is super interesting. Was you said that you were doing therapy, but was Jay Shetty like your gateway to getting into self-development? Or was it like doing therapy beforehand? Or was he really like, you know, the catalyst to, to sort of get you into all the self-development phase of your life? Yeah. So, you know, like teachers have their summers off. And so My second son was born in early September. So that summer we were, I was at home, like doing random jobs around the house, getting ready for his arrival. So like painting his room, like like doing a lot of this stuff. And I just kind of like, just, I was like, oh, I want to listen to like a podcast or something while I'm sitting here. And so I don't even know how I found his podcast. I love, I would wish that I could go back and like, remember how I did. Um, But I listened to this one episode and it just like, it struck a chord in me. And then I ended up listening to all of his episodes before that. Um, And then it became this like weekly routine of listening to him. Um, And then I started reading more um, and I used to read all the time. And then I stopped once we had our first son. Um, But yeah, I started like doing podcasts, reading more, like really kind of thinking more. I started meditating, like got into more of a self-improvement routine for myself. Um, And, you know, it's now, geez, almost four years later. um, And I am essentially like a different person from who I was when this all started. Um, 
And that is something that I talk about in therapy a lot is like, I feel like I'm constantly battling the old me and the new me. Um, and that creates a lot of my dilemmas that I come across in day-to-day life. <laughs> Why do you think you're battling the old you and the new you? Um, the best way that I can think of it is I was this person for 31 years of my life. Um, and now I'm becoming this person that I want to be, but I, that person's only been in existence now for four years, you know? So I'm battling that four years with 31 years of prior experiences and thought processes and beliefs. And so it's, I feel like it's one of those things like one step forward, two steps back, but it's progress, whether it's slow. Um, but a lot of it for me is just fighting these beliefs that I used to hold about myself, about the world, um, and trying to navigate how I currently feel and the things that are popping up and why is that happening? Um, and therapy has been helping with that. Hmm. What was the biggest belief that you were holding on to? from the past that is, you know, causing you to sort of struggle or battle the old self? Um, probably my, <clears throat> my sense, my sense of like self-worth. Okay. Um, I, uh, for most of my life thought that my value was in the things that I could do, mm-hmm. uh, not me as a person. <clears throat> and so I, I do. I think I battle a lot with this idea of, yeah, myself, my self-worth, my value. And I, you know, I do daily affirmations and I have to constantly tell myself like, what's going on? Why are you feeling this way? And I think a lot of it is I struggle with perfectionism. Um, always have, I think I always will. Um, but I, so much growing up viewed my value from sports because I played volleyball um, and I was good. Like I played volleyball in college division one, like I was good at it, but I got so much of my, now what I've realized is fake confidence from being told how good I was, but never believing that I was good. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just became this reoccurring thing where like, I was always told that I was good at things but I never allowed myself to be put in positions to not be good. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like I like oh. cherry picked the things that I would do because I knew that I had a natural inclination for them. And I wouldn't really venture into things that I was like, Oh, that could be tricky. Like, um, so now, like the fear of failing in a certain sense. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's my biggest fear. Um, mm. and so now as an adult, I am f- being forced to kind of reckon with a lot of this failure. And especially as a business owner, like failure is inevitable. It's an, it's just a fact of yeah. what you're doing. And so it's me realizing that I am not the failure. Um, like my therapist really, like it was like a light bulb moment for me where he was like, you have to look at failure as like, you are not the failure. There's part of the process failed. So what in the process failed and how can you correct that? But you yourself are not a failure. Um, And that's something for me that I like clicked where I was like, oh, okay, I need to start separating myself from this. Um, But I didn't have that when I was younger. So, so much of like I experienced failure, I beat myself up. Um, And like, you know, it's that whole thing, like, would you want to be friends with your conscience? 
Mm-hmm. There are times that I'm like, why, like, why am I such an asshole to myself? Mm-hmm. I am. And I know that a lot of that comes from the way I grew up. Right. If I messed up or I made a mistake, I felt like it was me. Like I was the failure. Like it took away value from what, who I was basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it is like, that's, that's, I think been like the biggest kind of takeaway and yeah, struggle that I deal with on a daily occurrence is just kind of my, my self-worth. <laughs> wow. I think so many people can resonate with you. I mean, I know I'm resonating with you big time right now because my whole sense of identity also was locked into what I was doing in the past. So, you know, I grew up in a very strict family where my father was a police officer, where things were, you know, very strict. And if I didn't follow the rules, it would be, you know, they would, they would be punishment or um, they would be something of the sorts that they take away the thing that was the most precious to me, which was music. Right. Yeah. Just because I wasn't, you know, being a good, you know, uh, I guess a good student or I wasn't, you know, doing the chores that were asked of me. And, you know, as I went on in life, I felt that my worth was all tied up into my title all the time. Right. So I worked in the music industry for 23 years and, you know, I, I went high up in the echelons, but was never really happy. You know, I loved the music. It was always about that passion, but the title was what made me, I always thought. And for the longest time, you know, when I lost that, when the music industry basically shut its doors and, you know, when the Napster era came upon, um, I, I was completely lost in what I was going to do. So, you know, I went, I had an offer to go to Apple and open like this, this huge retail store and become a senior manager. And that was my identity now. And I was like, okay, I'm back. I got, I'm making a lot of money. I got a, a title, but I was so, 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 so miserable. And I feel that when I hit my wall in 2021, when I, you know, I opened up my own publishing company and then after that it closed down because of COVID, but I worked for another publisher and was as miserable as I'd ever been, but I was 48 years old now. Yeah. In 2021, I was so lost because my whole identity was based on what I did. So now I didn't know who I was anymore. So like you a little bit, you know, I fell into a podcast, actually it was the book, and then it sort of revealed so much about me. So I can resonate with you how difficult it is. I think everyone struggles with this identity issue of who am I and self-worth, because if we don't have the title or the position or something, it feels like we're not, what are we, right? No, it totally isn't. You know, it's the idea of like, what what is success to you? Like yeah. what, what is the definition of success? Um yeah. And it's so interesting, as you were just talking, I'm like, that's, I feel like that's part of what I'm trying to instill in my kids. Like, you know, like the question that you get asked when you're a kid, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? We don't answer that correctly. Cause when you're asking somebody that question, you're really asking them, what job do you want to have? Mm-hmm. And making it like, that's the center of our worlds. Like mm-hmm. what's your job going to be? Yeah. Um, so I feel like I was so focused on like, what's my job? How much money am I going to make? It was very materialistic. Yeah. Now my view of what success is, is so different. Like, you know, I just want to be comfortable and with myself, like I want to be happy, like in my relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's where the shift came was like, I realized that like, if I'm going to be considered successful for myself, I need to be okay with who I am. Right. Um, you know, and that will, everything else I feel like will fall into place. Yeah. Uh, but if I ever lose contact with that, like, that's kind of why, like I started going to therapy again was last fall 
I felt like I was totally disconnected because of a failure that I experienced and I cut myself off mm-hmm. and I'm such a social person. And I realized um, towards the end of the year that my social health had declined so much and that impacted my physical health and my mental health. Um, and it's because a lot of who I am as a person is connecting. Like I love connecting with people. And so I took that away from myself Um and I know that like for me to be successful, I have to be connecting with people. Right. Um, and so that's where I was like, oh man, like that's so crazy that like it can happen like that. Right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and it all stemmed from a single failure <laughs> that I well, took as <laughs> well. I mean, I can again I can so relate to that. And you know, I had uh my son on the podcast to have this conversation about identity. And, you know, he's, he's, he's 20 now today, but for the longest time, uh, what I feel that you're doing is breaking a generational pattern in a way, right? You don't want this to happen to your kids. You you're going to give them all the tools necessary. So they don't have to maybe go through the same patterns that you went through. And I feel that what I did with my kids also, I wasn't aware because when I got this awareness, my kids were already adults, but I do realize that I did install in them you know, a way of thinking that was not like my father and my mother back then, that I wanted them to be their own people, not punish them for not following in my footsteps or not doing something I wanted to do. But having this conversation with my son, because in in this um, podcast that we had together, you know, he went into, a, he, he played very high level hockey. And I realized that we never pushed him to become, you know, a very uh, a great athlete or get drafted by a, you know, a semi-professional team. He did that on himself, but I realized that a lot of times I would get ex- when he wouldn't perform or he wouldn't have, you know, the great game or something of the sorts. So I realized that I was pushing on my own, probably in a way, shortcomings, failures on him without even realizing it, even though I wasn't like having these deep conversations about get better, you better, better, you know, but you better, you know, play a better game the next time you're on the ice or whatever. But I still felt that. I sort of pushed my agenda on him when in fact, all he was doing was having fun and he never took it seriously, but that's what got him to a higher level because he, he he was having fun. And when he didn't have fun anymore, he just stopped and he went on to a new thing, which is a great thing when you think about it, because it's no, there's no pressure. There's nothing. So yeah. in a way, I think I, I broke a pattern that went on from my parents to me, but I know that in the past I repeated it a little bit and all that, but it seems that you, well, your, your, your kids are, are still very young you're breaking that right away by doing a lot of work on yourself. Do I, is that, is that a correct assessment that I'm making? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I have this theory that like our lives are like a pyramid and like you're at the top of the pyramid and it's kind of a trickle down where like, I have to be good with myself because that's going to positively impact my partnership. And then if our partnership is strong, then our foundation, which is our family, that will be strong, but it, it has to kind of, start with me. Um, and I think that's something my wife had a really hard time with it because I would say a year and a half into like my self-development journey, I told her that I had never been happier. And she was like, oh, so you weren't happy before? And I was like, no, no, no. Like I was happy, but I've never been happier with myself, mm. like my relationship with myself. Um, and that positively impacts everything around me. Um, but I am, you know, I had this realization the other day that I have become the parent that I wish I had had when I was a kid. 
Oh. Like I'm parenting my kids the way that I wished that I would have been parented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of it is just coming from a space of like emotional intelligence and empathy and, um, you know, teaching acceptance, like accepting yourself for who you are, accepting other people for who they are. Um, but just, yeah, teaching them that it's okay to feel the way you feel, um, and acknowledge that. And here are the tools that we can use to work through those, but not me forcing you to do things or like what you were just saying, like allowing them to kind of organically figure out what they're passionate about, what they like. Um, and a lot of that for me is I grew up in a very like controlled household. Um, and so that's my tendency. I want to control things. And so I slowly have to check myself and be like, do you need to control this? Do you need to take charge on this? Um, and it's helped me. Like, do I need to clean up this mess right now? No, I don't. It's not going to hurt anything. You know, let them do this. Do I need to tell them to do this? No. Like, and so it's just constantly me questioning myself. Why are you doing this? Do you need to do that? Um, and it takes effort. And I think that's something that I've also realized is mental, emotional effort is just as taxing as physical effort. Mm. Um, you know, I have had plenty of experiences where like a few weeks ago, we had to bring my son to the doctor and he hates the doctor. And he was screaming, crying, like he was just in a fit for almost two and a half hours. Like when we told him he was going to the doctor, at the doctor afterwards. And I got home and I looked at my wife and I was like, I need a nap. I am so exhausted from having to like, not react the way that I instinctually wanted to just be like, shut up. What are you doing? Like to be there with him and how are you feeling? What's going on? What can I do for you? Um, But all of that mental, emotional exertion, I was exhausted. And I was like, wow, I didn't really piece those together. How exhausting it can be to put that much effort into reshaping how you're thinking and how you're processing. This is this is what I find incredible about what you do is that everything that you've said to me, you've shared as on your social media. And this is what's this is what I why I love following you is that you put yourself out there in such an authentic and vulnerable way. And you know, there's there's no hiding behind a veil when we look at what you're putting out there as a message or as content or as experiences that you're having with your family. Um Tell me, like, what made you go out and say that I'm going all in, I'm going to be as vulnerable and authentic as possible on social media? Because as you know, social media can be many, many, many things, but you're just, you're out there and you're being so open and honest with people. What was your thought process in going into this world and actually sharing your experiences and being so authentic? Because there's things that I see sometimes I'm going, oh man, I would never have the guts to do what, you know, what Mm -hmm. Daniel is sharing, but I'm sure he's helping somebody, someone somewhere needs to see this, needs to hear this or, but you, like, how did you get into like doing this and basically like putting yourself all in? Um, baby steps. (laughs) Um, I, I'm somebody who struggles a lot with judgment and comparison. I think that's a lot of my failure stuff too. Um, and perfectionism. It's like a nice hurricane. Um, but I, when I entered the Jay Shetty certification school and I was looking for practice clients, I was so anxious and nervous to like post on my social medias that like, this is what I'm doing now. Like I need help. 
And so I literally like wrote a post and I was like, oh, am I going to do this? And I decided just like I hit post and I threw my phone and I like had to walk away. Um, and then that was kind of like the first step. And then I met another girl in my group who was so vulnerable and open. And I was like, man, like, that's how I want to be. Like, I feel like you connect so much quicker when you can be open. Um, and so I would start with like little things. And now I feel like it's just second nature. Like it doesn't bother me anymore. Like I know that a superpower of mine is that because I can be vulnerable and open, I allow people to connect with me quicker. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I just feel like vulnerability really is and should be at the center of relationships. Um, you know, I, I've said it for such a long time. I feel like male friendships in particular is a game of chicken, you know, it's who's going to be vulnerable and open up first. And usually more often than not, what ends up happening is that neither one does. Um, which is why you see, this very weird dichotomy of male to male friendships versus female um, women, women sit face to face, men sit shoulder to shoulder. There's like a block. Um, and I just realized very quickly that I'm like, I'm so good at that connecting. And this is where like, uh, I struggle sometimes acknowledging my strengths. And this is a strength of mine. Like we, we had a Zoom call with three of our couple friends last Friday, and I've shared with them that I'm in therapy and like trying to open up about things. But um, I opened up to them about kind of some of these struggles that I'm having currently with my parents. And it like opened the floodgates for the rest of them to be open. There ended up people were crying like it. And I after it ended, I looked at my wife and I was like, it's crazy to think that because I'm so willing to be open and vulnerable, other people feel that they can do the same. And by doing that, I'm now so much more connected to them and they to me. Um, you know, and I feel like on social media, everything's so filtered and fake that when you see people that you can tell it's genuine and real, it's so much easier to connect with them and trust that what they're telling you is what they're doing. Um, and so that's now like you know, parenting is hard as hell. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it, yeah. it is one of the hardest things to do. And I want to normalize talking about parent struggles and like, right. you know, not pretending that you have everything together because it doesn't help. Um, right. You know, I want to be able to have people go, yeah, I'm struggling with this. What do you do? I'm struggling with this. What do you do? Like, you know, as opposed to pretending that you have the answers to everything because we don't. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. Do you have like any expectations when you go into social media and post this? If they're, you know, what if you, no one likes what you're doing? No, if no one, pre you know, presses the, the thumbs up button or the heart button, or what if no one interacts with you when you're asking a question, is there any expectations? And is that difficult to manage when you're actually putting so much vulnerability out there? Do you have this expectation that it will come back to you in some form of interaction with a maybe you know, someone, a stranger who's connected with you or someone else that follows you that really likes what you do. Is there, is there that thing that you struggle with in the, in terms of social media? Cause you, you post a lot, but it's very, I find it's, you know, it's very relevant. Everything that you do, it's not just out there to be out there, but does that come with expectations on your part? Yeah. And I think that's something that, um, I've had to kind of deal with, you know, I think that's the issue with social media is like the likes and the engagement is like how mm. you grow. Um, 
But I've also, I feel like I've been able to connect with such a wide variety of people from around the world because of this. Um, And it is, it's kind of hard when I like, I'll post something that I'm like, man, that was really like powerful. And then it gets nothing. Right. And then I'll post something that I'm like, eh, whatever, like, and I get engagement. But I feel like what I have to realize and tell myself a lot is that like, even this only connects with one person, that's one more person than I had with to start, um, you know? And I think that's something that I try to tell myself too, is that like, you know, at the beginning of the day, I'm cool with where I am and what I'm doing. All of that other stuff is just a bonus. It's an add-on. Um, right. I didn't have it to start with anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is, it's a struggle, you know, and I, I constantly like go back and forth with like, Oh, could I be doing more to get more engagement? Like, how does this work? Um, but I also realized that not everything is going to resonate with people. Right. Um, and that's the hard part too. Like, you know, we're all individuals and we have our own experiences and what I might be thinking might not resonate with you. Um, but then again, maybe it does. Um, and so that's just, yeah, where I try to live in this in between of ignorance and bliss. Um, and just continuing to struggle through and put out stuff that I think matters and resonates with me. Mm. Is there any fear of, of judgment because being so authentic, someone can just, you know, troll you and, you know, send out a, a really harsh message or try to, you know, provoke you in some ways, because like I said, again, you, you, you put yourself out there, you show moments with your kids, you're very vulnerable, but it's, it's to help and connect. But we all know, that this this vast playground of social media can invite people that just want to uh, provoke you and troll. Yeah. Yeah. And it's happened. Um, You know, I understand that like the way that I present myself and the things that I'm presenting are in many ways, very different when it comes to the traditional stereotype of a man. Um, And so I have, I've gotten on occasion, like guys that respond with like, just really like derogatory, rude comments. Right. Um, and sometimes I'll engage with just like a question. I really try not to like say anything back. It's more just like out of curiosity. Like, why do you feel this way? Um, but I've also come to this point where I realized that like, their comments and the way that they feel is not a reflection of me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's something going on with them. And for a lot of what I experience in those moments is something that I said triggered them. Like some part of my message or whatever that was triggered in them something that they can't handle. So the only way that they know how to deal with it is to fight back. Um, You know, and I don't know if you um, know or follow Alok. Um, They're a transgender activist and they say all the time, like, you can hate me all you want, but I love you. And the reason that you hate me is that you don't like who you are. Mm -hmm. He's like, and they say all the time, like, I can express myself fully because I love who I am. And because I love who I am, I will love you you are spreading hate and acting hateful because there's some part of you that doesn't like who you are and you're upset that I love who I am. Um, And that's just where I know, like, 
so many of these people's comments are not about me. It's about mm. them. There's something going on for them. Right. And that is where I feel like I come up with that curiosity. Like, why are they, why do they think that? Like what's going on in their life that makes them feel like this is the appropriate way to respond. Um, you know, would you want your kids to respond like that? Like, you know, how would you feel if somebody responded like that to your family? Um, you know, and so it just becomes a curiosity thing for me. Has a question to one of those people has ever sparked a discussion that went further beyond that aspect and that you actually were able to engage and it started off with a very derogatory comment or something, but you were actually with that question able to take it a little further and, you know, have a, a curious conversation with that person or back and forth. Yeah. Like once or twice, I like on TikTok one time, I remember like I got into a very interesting conversation with somebody who disagreed with me um, and just kind of going back and forth and trying to figure out like what their perspective was. And then at the end of the conversation, what we realized was that our starting definitions of this topic were very different. Mm -hmm. Um, And once we got onto the same page in terms of what it meant, we actually agreed. Um, It just where we started, we thought the the topic and what it centered on was different. Um, and so it was just kind of trying to figure out where, where is our common ground? Like, what do you think this means? What do I think this means? Oh, okay. Like, so they're similar, but slightly different, which is causing our disagreement. Like, how can we move forward from this? And it was, it was enlightening. It was eye-opening just to kind of see that. I feel like for the most part, people are more similar than they are different. Mm. We just, I feel like, especially now in today's society, we're so quick to judge and label people without being curious or asking questions right. and listening. Um, and so it is, it takes a lot of effort <laughs> to, you know, to not snap back and go with your gut and like respond. Um, but to have that empathy and understanding so instead of just like automatically blocking someone, you're actually going to take a step back and just be curious about something that you want to ask them to sort of maybe open up possible discussion or just get them to expand their mindset a little bit so that they can see your perspective and that you can engage and also, you know, know find out a little bit more about their perspective. It changes everything when you think about it, right? It can go 50-50, right? It can go like that. And that's in that case, it went the right way. At the end, you were just, you know, two different opinions, but in the end, you sort of found a common ground where you could have a discussion and it can go the other way completely where someone's just trying to, you know, rile you up and get you, get you, get you angry. So you've decided to sort of take that step back and instead of automatically just getting at it is sort of calming yourself down, not necessarily blocking, but asking a question. Yeah. And it's, um, have you ever heard of Loretta Ross? Nope. Um, she has this, um, this thing called the calling in movement mm-hmm. instead of calling people out, you call them in, but she has this theory that if you look at like a hundred point scale, that there are people that are from like 75 to a hundred that are like in agreement with you. So like, there's no need to like call them in because they already agree with you. But then you have those people in that 75, 25 space that slightly agree with you, slightly disagree with you, but that you can bring into conversation and discuss. But that zero to 25 range, those are people who it doesn't matter what you do or say, they are not open to listening to you. And those are the people that you have to kind of push away and ignore. 
they're mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not worth your energy and effort. But that that middle 50%, whether they agree or disagree slightly, those are the people that you can engage in conversation um, in a meaningful way. Right. And so that's where like, I think for the most part, what I try to figure out is where where are they on that scale? Mm-hmm. You know, is somebody who's there to troll and be rude just because they want to be like, that's right. their shtick. Or are they somebody who like is saying this out of ignorance and a little bit of curiosity and they needed somebody to engage? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, that's where, um, yeah, I feel like that kind of taught me to kind of go with curiosity. And then I read a book last year called um, Conversations with People Who Hate Me. Um, and it was exactly what we're talking about. This guy, famous YouTube guy, and he would bring in um, people who wrote really mean comments about him onto a podcast where they would talk about the comment, where it came from, and then just kind of getting to know each other. And then at the end of the podcast, he would ask them point blank, like, do you hate me? But now that they've humanized each other, it's much harder to say the things that you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is what social media unfortunately creates is this dehumanizing effect of people and not realizing that like this person has a life, they have people that they care about, like, you know, your comment, if it's rude or mean, or like it affects people, um, you know, you're not looking at that person as a person. You're just looking at them as like a screen, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but it's hard and you just have to find the people that are willing to have that conversation. Absolutely. And as you do more social media, do you build up kind of like a, I don't know, a turtle shell in a certain sense that it, things just bounce off now that you're able to just sort of mitigate everything and be able to take always that, that calm approach and not, you know, give into any of that emotional, you know, retort that it would be so easy to get into. Does that make it, is it easier with time to just be able to, to, to go out there and just put yourself out in the void and say, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. And you know, as time goes on, more the more you do it, the more it just becomes a natural part. It's like a almost having a third arm in a way. Yeah, I feel I feel like that's so many things that you have to try to work on, you know, is a being aware that this is how you feel in the first place, acknowledging that that's what's going on, and then just kind of working through is this really the right way to deal with this? Um, you know, there's judgment, I feel like is part of life. Um you know, it's an inevitable thing. Something happens, you respond. Um, but it's choosing how you respond outwardly. Because like, yeah, when I read some of these comments in my head, I'm thinking like, what the fuck is wrong with this person? Like, do they not see like how just completely rude and off base this is? But then I also know that I can't respond back to them in the same way because then what gets accomplished? I might feel better for a few seconds, but like, what really is being accomplished there. Um, And I feel like that's how we should really be acting in life. Like, you know, my wife and I, at the beginning of the school year, we went to back to school night and they said, nobody can bring kids. Well, this one woman brought her two kids with her. And I immediately was like, oh, look at this. This woman like didn't even think about like the rule. And then I stopped and I was like, okay, but you don't know this woman's life. Maybe she's a single parent. Maybe she doesn't have family around. She had no choice. Like your judgment of this woman that you don't even know Mm. 
100% off base and you probably have all of this misconstrued and wrong, yeah. why do you care? Mm. Um, and it is, it's like, why do we judge people that we don't know? You know, like, you know, like this little piece of them, mm. um, but we like to pretend that we know their whole life story. When right. you know. I, I, I so agree with you. I mean, uh, I, I said this a lot, but you know, people don't wake up in the morning wanting to piss you off. They don't get up with this mission of, okay, I'm going to go out and bring my two kids to school for the parent teacher night and piss off Daniel, right? Just to yeah. get him to judge me. Uh, no one, when we get cut off in traffic, how, how much rage comes into us automatically and we get all angry, but we don't know if that person is actually rushing to the hospital or something wrong. They lost their job. They're angry. They don't have constant, you know, they don't have any concentration, but you know, automatically we get into judgment mode of like, we want to, you know, we want to rip that person's head off. They should not be driving. They should not have a license. But we do that. I, I guess for me, it's part of the human experience. I mean, this is something that we we cannot get rid of. It's just something I guess we can tame and sort of yeah. be able to sort of be more aware of ourselves and say, hey, I caught myself judging, caught myself in this moment. Let's take a step back and just sort of relax. I can't, you know, not stop it from happening because it's it's part of who we are as human beings. We react to things. But understanding like just telling yourself that i don't think anybody wakes up in the morning wanting to do any harm to anybody yeah but stuff happens right you know reactions happen emotions get in the way but i don't i think everyone wants to do good but ultimately when something happens to us we're very quick to react in a very judgmental way but i think the important part is what you've just said is to be able to take a step back and sort of see it and go oh yeah maybe you know she didn't have a choice to bring her two kids to the uh to this evening right but I think so much of it for me that I've experienced is it really is around strong emotions, anger being a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we really teach people how to deal with anger. I think we try to shove it away and ignore it when like anger is a part of life. Yeah. Um, you have to teach people how to deal with anger yeah. uh, and passive aggressive behavior, which is like very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the lowest level of anger management. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like, I constantly have to tell myself, like my kid didn't just do this to be malicious. Like he didn't go out of his way to have this behavior to be like, Oh, I'm just going to do this to piss off dad. Like, mm-hmm. no, he doesn't know how to deal with this. So this is not about me. This is about him. What does he need in this moment? What, mm-hmm. how can we get this to have a better reaction next time mm-hmm. versus this. So like, it's talking about like, you are allowed to be angry, but you can't throw things. You can't hit people. You know, I would much rather you in this moment, you're angry, scream, yell, you know, because at least that is a higher form of anger management than hitting um, and throwing things. And then it's okay. Now that we've gotten to this next level, okay, now next time we don't want to scream and yell. How can we deal with our anger in a more appropriate way? Um, and then I have to model that. So I tell them all the time, when when daddy gets angry at you guys, I remove myself from the situation. I find the bathroom, our pantry, and I just like silently scream or just like shake my body away from you guys because it's not fair to do that in front of you. Mm-hmm. I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just constantly having to model that stuff for them. 
And I feel like that's the hardest part of parenting is kids don't li- really listen to what you say. They l- listen to what you do. Right. Uh, you know, a kid understands very young that, oh, well, you're telling me to do this, but you're not doing the same thing. That's not fair. Right. Like kids are like fairness experts. Um, and so it is so much of this stuff has to be modeled, but you can't teach what you don't know mm-hmm. and you can't give what you don't have. Mm-hmm. And so it, it all starts with me. And it is, it's, you know, I'm expressing to my kids constantly, you just did that. That made me sad. You just did this. That frustrates me so mm-hmm. that they can hear what's going on in my head. Mm-hmm. But then me modeling that, like, you just did this and that hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. I need to step away from you because I need a little bit of space. Mm-hmm. And so it's me having to model what I'm thinking and processing for them so that they can do that going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard, you know, cause it's, it's so much easier to just tell them, don't do this. Don't do that. Like, you know, but it doesn't really stick with them unless they see it. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it, that's, it's hard work. Um, yeah. I mean, I know you did a video on this. I remember about just taking a step back from your kids and, you know, hiding somewhere to just let all the steam go out before engaging in a conversation with them. And what you're saying, I mean, you're taking the long way in the sense that you're committed to being a great father, but also install great values in your kids. And that demands time, patience, effort, you know, and repetition, of course, and to repeat and to repeat. Whereas most, well, not most, I don't want to lump anybody and generalize here, but some parents will just punish and just put them in a corner and that's it. And, or give them an iPad to sort of distract them and get onto something else. But actually putting in this effort is where, you know, in the future it will definitely pay off because you're, you're installing values, a thought pattern, probably breaking, like we talked about, like the sort of that generational pattern where you're, you're going to make, you know, these, these amazing men one day that are going to be out and also be great fathers also and grandfathers and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I mean, I'm hearing this and I, I'm very inspired by what you say. I'm very inspired as what you do for a parent. I hope that, you know, your message goes further and further so that men can be much more vulnerable and authentic in, you know, in their emotions, but also in their parenting. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think societally men are not viewed as caretakers as Mm -hmm. nurturers, but like we can, we could. Um, And so I know like in my situation, my wife and I are almost the opposite gender roles that you traditionally see. Like I am the primary caretaker. I essentially am the stay at home dad. um, And my wife makes the money and I do a majority of our cooking and cleaning um, and a lot of our weekly mental load. But I'm okay with that because I've realized that that is a huge chunk of what I contribute to our family. Um, and it's taken me a while because I feel like for so long, I thought what you contribute to a family is money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is just one part of it. Yeah. But like, I contribute so much on a daily basis to just like, the ongoings of our family, you know, keeping together. Mm -hmm. And it again goes to like the, our valuation of women, because women are the ones that Mm -hmm. take a majority of that role traditionally. Um, And it's invisible work. It's unpaid. 
Um, but if they weren't doing it, who, what's going to happen? Right. Um, you know, and it becomes this thing where like, now that I've been in this kind of role for so long, I have so much of a better understanding of what stay at home mothers and really what mothers in past generations were dealing with this essential, like invisibility of your worth, mm-hmm. and the things that you bring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because we put so much focus on money. Yeah. And, and that again is part of capitalism, which I will tell you is that and the patriarchy are the two things that I think are what are wrong with the world. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's just, I want to teach my kids that like your gender doesn't tell you who you can be and what yeah. you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so my boys love cooking with me in the kitchen. Um, they're both very big into cleaning um, and very much so about showing love mm-hmm. uh, but that's be- that's not by accident. That's like the stuff that we do on a daily basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, you know, it's, I know that it's atypical, especially of what I see a lot, mm-hmm. but oddly enough, I think I've insulated and surrounded myself with people that believe similar things. Right. Um, and so my boys are seeing that across the board. And I think the biggest challenge of parenting is that eventually your kids are not going to be just in your bubble. Right. You know, they're going to have school and society and all this stuff. And so it's, I want my values to be instilled at them at such a young age that they understand what they believe and what's right Mm -hmm. and can speak up. Um, You know, my older son is five and has already called multiple kids in his class sexist and racist. <laughs> um, but that's important for us. Right. And those are values. Like I actually just did a post about it the other day. Like the one trait that I want to instill in my kids is acceptance, mm-hmm. acceptance of themselves and acceptance of other people, regardless how that looks. Mm-hmm. So your gender doesn't matter. Your sexuality doesn't matter. And these are things that I'm talking with them now at the ages of three and five. Mm-hmm but I know that that's important to me and I show that by my actions and the things that I do Mm -hmm. because I know that that's an important life skill and lesson that I want them to have. Um, You know, the better that I get, the better they're going to be. Absolutely. And I know that they're going to be way better people than I am, Mm -hmm. but I also know that that will be because of me, Mm. you know? And so it is like, at the end of the day, I want my kids to feel comfortable coming to me for whatever the situation is, um, even if it's hard, because they know that I'm not going to judge them. And that's something that I wish I had had growing up mm-hmm. was that ability to approach my parents about any topic and feel heard and feel seen and not feel judged. Um because it is, I just don't want to create a household where my kids fear that I'm not going to approve of their decisions or not believe that what they feel is real. Um, to me, that would be my biggest failure mm-hmm. is if I, if they grow up not being comfortable coming to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's where the vulnerability comes in too. Mm-hmm. actually, now that I'm thinking about it is the more vulnerable and open I can be, that will allow them to do the same thing. 
some incredible nuggets of wisdom that you just shared with us, uh, Daniel. But one thing that triggered me is that imagine like a few years ago, I mean, I had my kids, you know, 20 years ago, so I only had two weeks off to take care of them. And then I was back to work earning. And, you know, my then wife raised our, our kids. Can you imagine, like, I talked to you about identity, saying that I'm a stay-at-home dad, how that can completely throw you off in terms of your, your title and what you do? Because we're, you know, you're saying I'm a banker, I'm a teacher, I'm a senior manager, I'm a stay-at-home dad. You know, a few years ago, I would have struggled with that completely, saying mm-hmm. that that was my title, when in fact, what you're telling us today is just, you know, you are what you are, you know, you are who you are. And today you are a stay-at-home dad, but in a year now, a year from now, you can go back to being a teacher. You can, you're, you're a coach also, but you can be many, many, many things also. Your identity is not tied up to just being a title. You know, yeah. it's, it goes much more deeper than that. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was really uh, some insightful stuff. I, I want to know, I'm going to backtrack here to Jay Shetty for a second. You said you listened to a podcast that sort of opened up the floodgates and kind of got you thinking. Was there like a, a sentence, something he said, words that he pronounced that sort of went boom in your head that said, oh, my God, I just had a light bulb moment here. Do you remember that? Oddly, I do. I wish I could remember the name of the woman that he had and that she was an actress. Um, and she had said that she for so much of her life had this image of who she was. And the more that she got into her self-development journey, she realized that that image that she had created for herself was not who she thought she was. And so she kept trying to be this image, but it didn't feel right to her. And when she gave herself an opportunity to just be herself, she just felt like everything clicked into place. Like it felt natural. Mm. Uh, And I feel like that for me has been something that I've realized is like the more I'm honest with myself about how I feel about things, the more everything just, it doesn't seem so hard and stressful. It just seems more natural. Like almost like, oh, this is who I've been the whole time. I just wasn't allowing myself to be that person um, for whatever reason it was. Um, But yeah, just trying to get to that point where like, I feel like this is me, like, you know, all my flaws, all my quirks, like, you know, this, this is me. Um, And it's a, it's a good place to be in, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's odd that that's a piece of relationship advice I give to people is when you get into a relationship with somebody, you are marrying their flaws. Like, can, can you handle their flaws and quirks? That's what you're, that's what you're marrying. Mm. If you can't, it's not going to last. Right. Right. It doesn't matter how great of a person they are. If they have a flaw or something that really bothers you, that's going to be hard. Um, Mm. You know, but that also comes with acceptance of like, people are who they are. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there has to be some, some level of willingness to not want to change them. Right. Um, because that's something that they need to do themselves. Mm. Like, you know, as much as I've been changing, I obviously talk to my wife about the things that I'm doing and like try to loop her in, but I'm not forcing her to do the same things. Mm -hmm. Um, She picks and chooses what she wants to engage with and how she wants to do it, but it's not fair to her to force her to do those things. Cause that's Mm -hmm. just her. Um, Mm. 
Yeah. It's all the, all the self-growth journey. <laughs> I was playing a, a questions game on the weekend and there was this question, like if you could, you know, implement one change in society or one law in society, what would you do? And I answered, I would install a self-development class for kids. Yeah. Like either for you guys, it's, it's maybe middle school for us. It starts at high school, but have this, this class of working on yourself in terms of self-development, understanding, you know, awareness yeah. values and sort of working this up so that you can, you, you have a base to go on and you can take this conversation further with you know your family your friends your brothers and sisters so that you have this this type of core where everything that we've talked about today has come from a lot of suffering a lot of trial and experimentation exploring discovering but it took you years and years it took me 48 but maybe i wouldn't have taken the class seriously back then because i was who i was but maybe i would have also and there would have been something that would have resonated with me and helped me cope with, you know, the, the harsh realities of life and how to, to create a healthy relationship, healthy sexuality, healthy, lots of stuff. Because, you know, no one could have predicted social media when we were back then would take over the world the way it is now. But more than ever today, having some sort of self-development class, we can call it that way, health class or whatever would make such a difference in just giving a base to the to 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 our children so that we can build conversations with them so that we can you know us learn from them them learn from us but sort of make much more i think mind healthier men and women today in the landscape that we're living in yeah i agree and i feel like that'd be something so easy to implement too right uh, you know, um, because imagine from elementary school having one class a day that's focused on social emotional health, right. you know, and it develops over time. Like that's not a difficult ask, mm. but it's <laughs> not a priority. But what you're doing today, certainly I'm certain, I'm, I'm certain impacts people and people that you're not even aware of, because mm-hmm. it certainly impacts me, even though that I have grown children, because I really love what you do. And I, I look at it as being just so real. So if I were to have kids today, I would be much more engaged with you knowing, you know, that you're, you're imparting this wisdom and authenticity with us. Um, how do you, 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 you coach, you do parenting coaching. So is most of your clients men or do you have women? How does it, is there um, most a ratio? Of them, most of them are women. Um, yeah. And they, it's interesting because I feel like they try to loop um their partners then <laughs> um, to it. And I do think that it is, it's much harder to get men invested in this type of learning. Um, and I feel like a lot of it is because there's no like physical outcome to it. Um, yeah. It's just, it's such an interesting gender dynamic. Um because I feel like for so long and still, you know, a majority of childcare is women. Um, and so it, it is interesting. Like some of the posts that I do, like women are like, yeah, thumbs up. And the men are the ones that are like, no, like don't agree. And it's because there needs to be a lot of conversations around it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of conversations, but yeah, I would say a majority of my clients that I work with have been women. Um, and I don't think that's by accident. I feel like it's women 
realizing that like the struggles that they're going through, like, this is what I could have, but I don't. Um, like I have a client right now who she's like, I just feel like my husband and I are roommates. He is not engaged and involved in any of the stuff that I'm doing. Um, and so it's having those conversations about like, okay, well, on your end, what what needs to change, you know, and having her kind of link him into the conversation, not directly, but indirectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems to work at some level, um, but there is, there's just a lot of communication work that needs to happen mm-hmm. in relationships. And I feel mm-hmm. that women are more willing to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then ironically, what I've found is that the men are the ones that are most likely to jump full, like head in and be there for you. And like, um, like my male clients after one session are like full, fully invested, like very open and honest. And it takes women a little bit longer to trust. Um, and I don't know if that's because men don't have many relationships where they can do that with. So when they mm-hmm. get it, they latch on quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, it's just one of those things where I just have to continue being me regardless of who it is mm-hmm. um, and just showing up the best way that I can for whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, just know that that's, that's really all I can do. <laughs> it's beautifully said. Um, do you agree that men are still hesitant to ask for help? Yeah. That they're still stuck in their minds as, you know, I can get over this by myself. I can, I can do this on my own. When in fact, maybe they're connecting with you, but would never actually ask to have a meeting with you or to have a call with you to sort of unpack what they're going through. Yeah. And I experienced that, you know, I think asking for help is such a struggle for me. But I think that's because we, as young men, were told that you need to be able to do it yourself. You need to be self-sufficient, like, um, you know, but now I'm like, it's not an accident that the highest suicide rate in the United States is in those like lone cowboy states like Wyoming and Utah. Mm. Um, You know, Wyoming has the highest suicide rate of men between the ages of 25 and 60. Wow. People are like, no, there's no way. And I'm like, they're alone. They have no access to mental health services. And there's nobody really there that's telling them that it's okay. Because I know in my experience as a young boy, we were told very early to not be vulnerable, not express fears, because those could be used against you. And so, you know, you're being told constantly that like, boys need to be strong. Boys don't cry. Boys don't show emotions. Like, so it's so difficult to build any sort of meaningful relationship. Mm-hmm. You're constantly being told to not do that, but that's exactly what you need to survive. Like they've had studies that show that close friendships are more beneficial to your overall health than romantic partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder how much of that affects the fact that women outlive men. Is that because of this added benefit of friendships and relationships that men refuse to engage in? Mm. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm very fortunate that my best friend and I, like, really outside of my wife, he is my most intimate relationship. Um, And I think people are thrown off, especially men, when I say intimate. And I'm like, 
it is intimate. Like he knows things about me that really no one outside my wife knows, not even my mm-hmm. parents. Right. Uh, I've cried in front of him. I talked to him about my fears. Like he's somebody who, regardless what happens, I feel like I can go to and talk, even if it's going to be a difficult conversation. And I don't have many of those people, but you need those people. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's that whole idea of like one person can't be everything you need. My my wife can't be everything. I need other people. Um, and so having that close relationship with another guy helps that there's just a different perspective that he brings. Um, and it's just super beneficial. And that's something that I hope my kids have. Um, you know, it's, yeah, I just think it's, it's beautiful to like have those kind of bonds and relationships. And I wish that those were more common. I think it would help people. Um, but it's just not. (laughs) Well, listen, for sure. What I've heard today is, Definitely. I'm, I'm sure people are going to resonate with a lot that you've said. And I find that, again, you're so authentic. And in the way that you talk, I'm sure that if there's men listening today to be able to express themselves in a more authentic way also is only beneficial for them to be able to, again, be able to connect better with, with others. So we have more robust relationships and also have robust relationships with our family, our kids, the future, right? Creating new patterns, I guess, and reprogramming some of the old thoughts. Um, got a question for you. If you were to give us a piece of wisdom to everyone listening right now, they're all standing in front of you invisibly, and they got their, their arms crossed, and they're waiting for Daniel to give us a, a, a moment of wisdom, what would be something that you would like to, to offer them as like a parting words. Hmm. Um, We need to always be open to learning about other perspectives. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we, we are in our heads so much of the day. Um, Everyone is, But when you take the time to learn about other people's lives and their perspectives, it gives you an opportunity to empathize and understand that your situation and your scenario is not the only one that exists. And that those things that you believe and you tell yourself might not be true. Um, But the only way for you to really combat these internal dialogues is to constantly be engaged in other people's perspectives, whether that is from reading or listening to a podcast or having a conversation. But when you get so locked into like, this is me, this is what the scenario is. This is how it should be. You lose the opportunity to look at how other people problem solve, how other people's experiences look. And that can only be a positive for your life. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess it would be to invest more time in other people's perspectives. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Tell me your definition of living a fulfilled life. Hmm. Um, I feel like I want to say contentedness. Um, yeah, just like not feeling like you... Uh, need something else or want something else, but just like being comfortable in the moment. Yeah. Like I, I 
I feel like for me, when I'm at my most fulfilled is when I'm just present with my, with my family, like, mm-hmm. you know, no, no devices. It's just like our time in the basement playing together or like a Saturday morning when they wake up and they jump in bed with us and it's just us. Yeah. Um, so presence, I guess a fulfilled mm-hmm. life is just being as present as possible and just fully taking things in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you consider you're living a fulfilled life right now? As close to it as I think I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As close as I can. Um, yeah. I have my battles, but yeah, as, as close as I think I can on a, an average. More than ever, I guess. Yeah. Considering the past. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. One another question for you. What are you most curious to learn in the next coming months? Something that you want to learn, something you want to dive deep into? What is it that you'd like to do in the next coming months so that you can benefit from? Um oddly, my wife and I for the last two years have been doing years of learning where we pick a topic for every month. That's true. I saw that on the uh on your uh, on Instagram. Yeah. So this month we're learning about basic drawing um, skills because that's something that we've both like been curious about. Um, But I read constantly, like I've already read 18 books this year. Um, And I think this year in particular, um, I'm really focusing on the Asian and Latinx perspective on things. Mm -hmm. I, you know, last year I read predominantly black authors. Um, and like, that was very much something that I was invested in. And now this is kind of shifting towards those two groups. Cause I feel like those are very underrepresented. Mm-hmm. And so again, I feel like with adding to your perspectives and understanding of the world, um, if you don't have people that you can immediately engage with, I feel like reading and exposure to other cultures and groups um, can only benefit you to grow your empathy and understanding of what other people are going through. Um, so that is something that I'm trying to engage more with um, are those two communities. I, I know I saw that the the years of the year of learning. Yeah. Like it's such a great concept. It's such a great couple goal too to be able to sort of have this with your wife that you both are learning something that interests you. So yeah. it goes beyond the typical date night relationship, but there's something more inside to actually grow from, which mm-hmm. uh, I think is is another great example of, of of what you're installing as values. Yeah. Last questions for you. This is the music nerd in me asking, maybe the music guy in you, who's your favorite band? Musician, s- songwriter? What do you listen yeah, to? It's so, it's so funny. As you said, you worked in the music business. That was a dream of mine. Um, I so desperately wanted to do that in college. And my uncle convinced me not to, um, cause he said that you shouldn't work in your passion. Hmm. And I like, so regret not doing that. Cause I love music. Right. Um, I take so much pride in like finding an artist early on and being like, this person's going to be big. Um, you know, and then like in a year or two being like, yes, like I called it. Um, but like right now, um, God, my music taste is so eclectic. But if I had to say, like, favorite, Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Tell me why. 
all about Fleetwood Mac. I think that's some elements of childhood. Um, my wife and I went and saw them in concert like five years ago with my parents. Oh. Um, I have like have been obsessed with Stevie Nicks. I think I lost my voice because I was just yelling for her like the entire time. Um, and oddly enough, my wife kind of looks like a young Stevie Nicks, which I am now just piecing together. Um, <laughs> um, but I just, I love that they, it wasn't just one person writing. It was all four of them, their perspectives entangled and they were entangled um, and they wrote about it. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I found so honest and real um, and that it wasn't just sunshine and rainbows, like that they went through struggles, but they wrote about it and yeah, love Fleetwood Mac. That's amazing. Are you, is it all eras of Fleetwood Mac, even the old Fleetwood Mac when it was more, you know, Peter Green Fleetwood Mac or yeah. strictly more the rumors era and all the, the hits? All of it. Fleetwood um, Mac from top to bottom. Oh yeah. Like I think I constantly listen to like their, it's like Fleetwood Mac's 50 best hits and it, like just constantly I'm listening to them. Oh um, boy. Yeah. They're, I just think they're so good. Like it's funny fun. that you say that because I'm not, I, I mean, I, I know Fleetwood Mac and I've listened to them often by working in the music industry, but I've never really latched onto them. But I was watching this movie, this horror movie called X, I think it was called. And in this, there's this part in the movie where they're in the cabin before all the, the, the killing spree starts and they play this acoustic version of, um, is it the chain, I think, or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, absolutely beautiful and that just right away is like i gotta go listen to this stuff and it's like it's i found out most in the most funniest way watching a horror movie they played a fleetwood mac song acoustically and i was like i gotta go check out what fleetwood mac does because i forgot like all the great stuff that they've produced so funny the way that we can you know reconnect with other stuff that we thought you know we didn't latch on to the first time but you know the power of watching a, a horror movie and having someone play music in it I know. Rest in peace, Chrissy McVeigh. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Daniel, thank you so much for being part of this. This was like yeah. super interesting. And I want, I'm going to put all the links to everything that you do. I think it's super important that people can go out and connect with you and see what you do. You're a coach. Uh, you're a podcaster. You're uh, an amazing dad, but I think you're an incredible human being. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And perfect, incredible human being. And I think that's what comes out the most. And there you go. There's no title. There's no identity, but being a great human being, just you. So thanks for being part of this. I would love to have you back on and go further because there's a lot of stuff that we even just started touching on, but I think we can go much deeper with, but that'll be for another time. If you want to come back on, you're always invited. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you're hearing me now, it's because you went all the way to the end and I'm so appreciative. I hope you liked it. And if you want to help out the show, the best way is to talk about it, share it, like it, comment it, support it in any way you can. I love doing this and I'll see you again next week with episode number 28. Can't wait. See you soon.